As much as life has changed over the last year, you're still pretty busy. So consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same tests hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 25 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. Blog Talk Radio.
Mayotte Hotel. Welcome to the Truth of Power show, and my name is Beverly D. And we have Baba Kentu with us tonight. And for those of you that don't know Baba Kentu, he is a teacher of African spiritual science, who area of interest range from word power to rituals. Baba Kentu is the clinical director of the Jedi Institute of Learning, an academic and behavioral service provider that specializes in African-centered education and the seven liberal arts. So let me see, where are you at, Baba? Um, Here. Is this you, Baba Kentu? Can, can, can you hear me, Sister Bell? Yes, I can. Thank you for joining oh, us. Perfect. Oh, no, thank you for having me, as always. It is an absolute honor and a privilege to be on the Sister Bev Truth to Power show, and I say that with the utmost respect. Well, I respect you, and I also respect the great work that you're doing, especially with the young people. It's much, much needed. I say, I say, and this is exactly why I want to come on your show to present this information uh, because I was actually asked to do it for a class at the Spiritual Center, uh, which I attend okay. and teach at. And uh, around that same time, I know we had done a show um, right before that. So as I was getting prepared to do that show, I said, this is something I need to bring to the Sister Bev show because I think I need to expose this information to a wider audience. As okay. you can see from the title, uh, we're talking about you play too much, blacks and games. Um you play too much is a phrase that black people often use to indicate, um, you know, somebody is not being serious or somebody is playing around or, um, you know, just being a little bit silly. But the history of games in general comes down to black people. But the reason why I want to touch the young people on this one is because we see a change in gaming and we see a change in just our reality in general. And obviously, that is an area where we are being left out, even though we are a main driving force in the field. And we're going to get into all of that tonight as we continue. Excellent, excellent. Yes, yes. Um, so um, what I would like to do first is just kind of give you guys a little background. Sister Bev did an excellent introduction. Um, but if you guys want to get any further information, go to the website, Jedi Learning, D-J-E-D-I-L-E-A-R-N-I-N-G.com. You can find all of our social media sites, our phone number, 909-576-0170, if you attempt to reach us. And you can also email us at babakintu at jedilearning.com, B-A-B-A-K-E-N-T-U at jedilearning.com. Now, that's how you would reach us. And what we want to do today is give a little groundwork on the foundation of just games in general. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then we'll go into what is the current state of black people in video games, both inside the video games and as a developer of these games. Not just video games, but just games in general. So most people tuning in might think you're about to hear a lot about Michael Jordan or LeBron James or Tiger Woods are the athletes that you traditionally think of as game players. But we got a whole different set of parameters for you tonight because not only are we going to go into the history of some of the best players in various games, 
but we're going to go into the current and future state of where games are going. So what I'm going to do before we get into all of this is just give a little psychological, philosophical breakdown of just games in general, okay? Games and playing is essential to the human condition, especially in a situation that we're in right now. There are people who are essentially locked up in their houses um, being fined if they don't wear masks on their faces and not allowed to go to certain places. So what do you do when all this stress is upon you? Uh, you know, the CDC just came out recently and said stress is a big killer, like as if we didn't know that already. And people are stressed out about this situation. So as a human, what do we usually do? We get our mind off of it. And how would you do that? You got to play. You have to play games. If you look at the history of games and the different type of games there are, they're usually depicting some type of physical or warlike or strategy activity because that's an easier way to depict and release frustration as opposed to actually going out and killing somebody and chopping their head off. So the theory of games, and we'll get into game theory as well, just is simply the science of strategy. We are... uh, inundated with just games and play in our everyday speech, for especially black people. For example, you play too much. That's something every black person should have known or heard. You playing yourself. That's usually between, uh, you know, it's a reference made to a person who is thinking either too highly of themselves or thinking about something about their own self that isn't necessarily true. Um, how to be a player. That has to deal with games mostly in the relationship aspect. There was an entire movie called How to Be a Player. We had a movie called He Got Game, okay? And even if you remember, if anybody ever seen Friday out there, uh, one of the main things that Craig Mama said about his daddy was that even though he didn't have a whole lot of tact and wasn't that sharp, his mama would say, yo, daddy got game. But Craig didn't have no game. Now, what was she referring to? the game of relationships. So this is just part of the human psychology to talk about games and playing, and we don't even think about it. One of the big things in this past maybe 10 years is the phrase winning. I don't know if anybody remember when Charlie Sheen came out and did that rant, and in one of his phrases, every time he said something, it it ended with winning, and that became a phrase that's still used to this day. When somebody is doing something right, we say, winning, but you can only win if you win the game, okay? Another one that black people have picked up is taking an L. You might have heard, oh, man, I just took an L. If you listen to Big Sean, who's from Detroit, he said, last night I took an L, but then I bounced back, okay? He's talking about he took a loss, a loss. You can only lose if you're involved in the game. So as you can see, Almost everything that we talk about when we're talking to each other and when we're dealing with each other, it deals with games, playing, and game theory. And game theory, once again, is strictly the science of strategy. Anytime you come into contact with somebody and you have an obvious outcome that you want and they have an obvious outcome that they want, that there is a game, okay? And it's a mathematical statistical breakdown the people who really study this, as to what you should choose to do next. 
Now, when I go into game theory, I always like to go into what's called the prisoner's dilemma because that gives everybody a good idea of what I mean when I talk about game theory. And you'll probably hear uh, the prisoner's dilemma if you ever look up game theory. So in game theory, the prisoner's dilemma says this. Two people get caught by the cops for robbing. One person is given the option to either not plead guilty and snitch on the person or to just plead guilty and snitch on the person. Okay, You can either keep your mouth shut or you can squeal. Both people are given this option, but they're separated, so they don't know what the other person is doing. Neither person trusts the other person because they're both crooks, right? So why should they trust the other one? But in this situation, what should each person do? Let's give us the options really quick. So if you snitch <laughs> and you know, you're going to get some stitches, but if you do snitch, you have the option of getting zero, and if that person uh, on the other side of you is quiet, you get zero, and he will get 10, or she will get 10 years, okay? So you have that option right there. If both of you snitch on each other, both of you guys are getting five years. Neither one of you snitch on each other. Both of you guys are going to get two years, okay? So those are the options that you have. So you might say, hmm. I can snitch on this person. If they don't say anything, I get zero years. If we're both quiet, we're going to get two years, but if we both snitch, we're going to get five years. What is the best option? Now, game theory would say you do what is best for you at that given point in time, which is in any situation would be to snitch. So you know this was developed by some white people, okay? So when they say you need to snitch. This is how it goes. This is the breakdown. So if I snitch and the other person doesn't say anything, I get two years. Okay, it's not zero years, but I don't know what that person is going to do. If I snitch and they snitch, I get five years. So we both get five years. So the maximum I can get if I snitch is five years. If I don't snitch and this person does, the maximum I can get is ten years. So now you can see why the best option for me, no matter what, is to snitch. Because if I snitch and he snitches, we're getting uh, five years. If neither one of us says anything, we're going to get two. If I snitch and he says nothing, I get zero, he gets ten. So now you can see how this all plays out when we're talking about game theory and every interaction well, what about between people. Yes, ma'am. But but that thing like that, that's set up for you to. That's not a. You can't win on that game, because I well, mean, how do you know that the other one snitch? It's just the one that you're talking to, the one, the middleman. So the middle person go. goes. He can say that the other one snitch, but how do you really know that they snitch? He could tell the other one that that's that's the game they play. So I don't see how the person will win in any of those scenarios. Well, number you're absolutely right. Number one, as soon as you become a robber and you steal something from somebody, you've already lost. Your your game is already okay. over. But the new okay. game that starts now is how do I get out of jail the quickest? So now right. you don't know what the deal is. You're you're absolutely correct. You don't know what that person is doing. So what game theory is saying, in the situation that I have no idea what this person is doing, what is the best thing for me to do now? And the reason snitching is the best thing for you to do is because no matter what scenario happens, 
It doesn't even matter what they do, honestly. The maximum you can get is five years, period. Yeah, if you don't snitch and that person doesn't snitch, you can get zero years, but you don't know what they're going to do. So that's a bigger gamble. If you snitch Which was the and two they snitch, years. that's – excuse me? That was the two, what, which one was the two-year that you would get two-year? The two years is if neither one of you guys snitches on each other, okay? Nobody, if nobody says, you guys have already both gotten caught, if nobody says anything, you guys both are getting two years, period. Mm-hmm. If you guys both snitch on each other, you guys will get five years, okay? But if one snitches and one doesn't, the one who snitches gets zero years, and the one who doesn't, gets 10. So, okay. for example, let's say you're the person who says, you know what? I don't know what they're going to do. They might be playing me. Let me not say anything, okay? I'm not going to snitch. So for you, if that other person who has no idea, if they don't say anything, you guys both um, get two years, everything is done, okay? If you don't say anything and that person snitches on you, you're getting 10 and they're getting zero. So there is a scenario where you can get the max and they can get off scot-free, and that's with not snitching. The only way you can get an even amount, or the five or two, is to snitch on both occasions. And once again, this was developed by the mathematician, and I think his, oh, I can't remember his name right now, but he was depicted in the movie called Beautiful Mind, played by Russell Crowe. If you saw that movie, you know exactly who I'm talking about. He was a janitor who was just kind of, you know, uh, walking around this this college and he started going inside of the different boards where these complicated math problems were and just solving them. But after a while, his schizophrenia started to kick in and he was not able to control his mind. And that's why they call it a beautiful mind. But all of these theories, especially game theory, was developed by him. So it, it seems kind of complicated, uh, but what I would encourage you to do if it's still not solid is to just go on YouTube and just look up a few clips of the prisoner's dilemma, because it is very, very interesting how people, and like you said, the FBI, the cops, the government, they will play games and try to play people against each other. But if people understand the prisoner's dilemma, they can understand what the best thing to do for them is at that particular time, if they have not already made an agreement prior to that. So that's And that's what, I, that's what I would say. Before yes. I even go into that game, me and this person would already have an understanding that if we're going to do this crime together, we is not going to snitch on each other. That should be, but, that, that should be, we have a, a, a contract, an agreement. And that's perfect. That's exactly what you should do. And the maximum that you guys would get is two years. That's it. You guys, right. If you get caught, the maximum you're going to get is two years. Nobody's going to get out in mm-hmm. zero years, but nobody's going to get five or ten either, okay? Right. So yeah, the best agreement is to go in there and say nobody ain't saying nothing, period. So that's a little bit about game theory, and those are called zero-sum games where I have to win and you have to lose. There is no win-win situation in a zero-sum game theory, but there also is cooperative game theory. And that gets a little bit more complicated, but basically it's a cooperative team against another cooperative team attempting to get something accomplished. And everybody's options and uh, moves are calculated and basically put on the spreadsheet to see what the best options are for everybody. 
And people study these things from everything from military strategies to video games to NBA games to NFL, golf. It doesn't matter. Human interactions, dating, um, negotiating for raise at your job, game theory comes in almost all the time. Okay. What we have done is we've set up a scenario where we kind of understand games a little bit deeper than what we usually and traditionally think about them as. It's just something to play to pass the time away. Yes, they do pass the time away, but it's much, much more complicated than that, especially when it comes to black people. And the reason I say that is because it is inextricably linked to almost everything and every aspect of our life, from birth to your main parts of your life, through death, through the afterlife, okay? If you know anything about African spirituality, you know that the next existence is only one in the many types of existences that you have. So the games wouldn't stop in your current life. They would continue on into the next life. And this brings me to the history of games and blacks in games. And for that, we need to look no further than the Pert and Haru, also known of going into the light. Other people might know it as the Egyptian Book of the Dead. But what we're going to do is I'm going to open this up really quick. If you got yours with you and you're listening in, what you are going to do is turn to Chapter 17 in the Pert and Haru. Chapter 17 is one of the most detailed, and it also gives us most of the information that we know about the various Neturu, our deities, in ancient Kemet. But there's something very interesting about this particular chapter. It doesn't only talk about the Neturu and the spiritual aspect. It also talks about this particular game called Senate. Now, what is this Senate? Now, we've talked about that before on this show. Baba. Senate is like a pre Go ahead. Uh, what page did you say again? Um, if you, you have your per in room, if you have a um, E. Wallace Budge version of the Book of the Dead, two eighty one. Okay, that's okay. the page that it will be on, and you'll see chapter okay. seventeen. The beginning of it actually will be on two eighty, but it will follow on to page okay. two eighty one. So it says All right. chapter seventeen. Here begin the praises and glorifyings of coming out from and going into the glorious Netrakert in the beautiful Amenta. Those are basically the heavens. Of coming out by day in all the forms of existence which pleases him. Of playing drafts. Now that word is actually supposed to be senate, but we're going to keep going. Of playing drafts and sitting in the Shek Hall and of coming forth as a living soul. Now that's just the title of the chapter. When you actually get into the chapter, it literally breaks down the cosmology of the ancient Kemites. But it also talks about this game called Senate. And in this chapter, what you see is Ani, who the, cha- who the book is about. You see Ani sitting with his wife Tutu, and they're sitting um, – well, I should say they're surrounding a board with blocks on them, and at the top of the blocks – you see these little figurines with lion heads and horse heads and um, uh, uh, goat heads or ram heads, and some have human heads. And what they're doing is they're moving the pieces back and forth, and it looks just like a checkerboard. Or I'm sorry, it looks like a chessboard. And what we're going to find out is that this is the African precursor to chess. This is one of the very first original games to ever be played that we have depictions of. 
we have depictions of this going back 4,000 before the Common Era, which is like 6,000 years ago, all the way from the third and fourth and fifth dynastic periods, which is uh, the Old Kingdom. This is when all Africans were ruling. Okay, Sudanese and Egyptians were coming together, and they were making this new country called Kemet, Upper and Lower Kemet. And they already had established that Senate was a game that you would continue to play on into the next life. So that was just the title that I read. But I want to go into the footnotes because where it says playing drafts, there's a little one there. So we need to go to the footnotes to see what they're talking about. So I'm going to read this little piece in the footnotes. It says, for accounts of the way in which drafts were played by the Egyptians, you need to see, and it goes over a list of various books. One of these books is called uh, Games of the Orient, and I happened to get a copy of that off the internet after some thorough searching. And it's like a thousand-page book, so it took me forever to download, but I'll get into some of that in a second. It goes on to say, the draft board of the ancient Egyptians is often a rectangular wooden box, the top divided into squares. Containing a drawer in which the men are kept. Okay, so you got the box, you have a drawer where you keep the little pieces, and then you have little squares on top where you move. Okay, it says draft boards were also made of blue glazed faience. Okay, that's like a little porcelain and bone or ivory. The draftsmen are wood, bone, ivory, glazed faience, <clears throat> the head of lions. Um, oh, and this is at, and at times the head of lions, and actually it goes on to have more heads than that. It just doesn't stay in the pert in Haru here. But to pick up, we are going to now go into this book called Ancient Games of the Orient, where we get a more detailed description about this particular game and why you would do it. <clears throat> and this game was actually said to be invented by Jehudi, and if anybody knows about Jehudi. Jehudi is the ancient Neturu of wisdom, mathematics, science, astronomy, and magic. So what the purpose of the game was, was to defeat your enemy by capturing their pieces. You would capture their pieces by surrounding your pieces around their piece, and then you would be able to do what's called a capture. So the name Senate has quite a few different name, uh, meanings in English. It can mean passing, coming and going. It could mean take. So the game Senate could be the game of passing, as as in passing from one position to the next, or one um, form of life into the next, or the game of take, where you take a piece. Now, the ancient Egyptians were very, very fond of wordplay, so it could be that it had a double meaning. Not only did the Senate mean to capture and take, but it also meant to pass on. So if you are lucky enough to defeat Jehudi, you were lucky enough to go on to the other side and continue to play this game along with all the other things that you did in the next life, which range from working in the fields and plowing your garden to making love in the grass to listen to music. And you'll see all these depictions in the backgrounds of the various tombs, temples, and pyramids whenever it comes to this particular chapter. Remember, the Pertinent Maru was written on papyri, it was written on coffins called the coffin text, and it was written inside of pyramids called the pyramid text. And it was pretty much exactly the same for the entirety of the country's existence. And in every chapter, chapter 17, you will always see the game of sin. 
So that's how powerful it is. If you want to know a powerful sister by the name of everybody knows the uh, powerful sister Hatshepsut. Mm-hmm. As a matter, as a matter of fact, Hatshepsut. Um, uh, there's a song called Hatshepsut on an album by an artist that recently uh, released. So we're starting to wake up to who she really is. But she was a New Kingdom, uh, you would call her a nice suit, but she ruled as a woman and a man at the same time. So her daddy was Jehudimus the first, and her brother was Jehudimus the third. And she has some of the best preserved Senate boards. So if you just look up Hatshepsut's Senate boards, you will see some beautiful pieces. I think a couple of them are in the British Museum of London right now. You'll see beautiful blue um, glazed faience. You'll see the pieces are made of uh, lapis lazuli, gold, and just various um, gems and metals, precious metals. It's absolutely a sight to behold. I also got to go see a King Tut exhibit about two years ago. And if you go to my uh, Instagram page, the Jedi Learning Instagram page, and scroll back two years ago, you will see a picture of his Senate board that was buried with him. So this was very, very important. This was not something that, you know, we take uh, – they took lightly like we do today. We think games are not serious. You're wasting your time. You're mm-hmm. playing those. You're riding your brain. All these different things we say about games, you can see how important it was to us throughout time. Now, that wasn't the only game that we played in ancient Africa. The Egyptians also had a, quite a few other games, and I'm going to go over just briefly – the names and just some basic rules on how you play those particular games. So let me go ahead and read this last little piece about Senate. It says, we have said that in many of our modern games have descended to us from ancient times and that some are depicted on the walls of Egyptian temples and tombs as Indians believed that the enjoyments of life with the great spirit in the future state would consist in hunting as the Romans placed theirs in the symposio enjoyments prefigured by the lecticerium, as evidenced by the recumbent figures so frequently found on their sarcophagi, and as the Mahatomans look forward to the solace of Oris, that's their heaven, so the Egyptians are represented as passing their time in the future state in anointing, and therefore we may conclude in previous bathing, in music, and dancing, and song, and playing at various games. What these ancient games were will be seen by the following paper, which was given to me in 1864 by the eminent Egyptologist and founder of the Biblical Archaeological Society, the late Dr. Birch of the British Museum, and which will be read with great interest. So that just gives you a little bit of breakdown of what they thought when they found it. And it's funny that they got this letter in 1864, right before 1865, and we all should know that it was the Emancipation Proclamation around 1865. So. Um, I just thought that was interesting. As we go down on the games of ancient Egypt, it says the earliest appearance of games is in a tomb of Meshepsis, a scribe and functionary of the king of Jedkara of the fifth Kemetic dynasty. Amidst the diversions of music and singing, are seen two games. Okay, and it shows a depiction, and you see beautiful Medunetra written above about. Six different players One of or Two of them are sitting in a senate board And they're playing each other And four of them are sitting in front of another game Called Mehen Okay and we're going to go in a little bit into Mehen And what that game is about Okay before we go into some later Information 
That the game Senate means chess in general, there cannot be a doubt from the evidence which I have already given. That of Tau or Robbers connects it with the Roman game of Latrunculi, which both by name and probably as arranged have been derived from Egypt. So even the Romans had a game called Latrunculi, which was similar to an Egyptian game called Tau, which was another game that was played on the board, uh, but it meant robbers. Played a little bit differently. It says, this last game indeed is described as different from that of the vase and chessboard. Perhaps future researchers may throw some light upon its nature. It is mentioned, however, as Latronus and not Latro in the Egyptian text. Okay, we'll go down a little bit further. In it, I showed that the unknown Egyptian word senate meant chess, and that the dead or the spirits were supposed to play at it in their future state. Something of this, as far as memory serves, takes place in the Greek or Roman Elysium, where the dead play at an Elysian pleasure, which I formerly realized when a boy at school. So we've talked about Elysium also on your show with various uh, hosts. And we know that Elysium was basically the Greek version of the uh, comedic het, or heaven, or, or the sekhet aru, or the fields of peace. These were all different names that the Egyptians gave the other world. Amenta. Amenta also meant the West. Because the sun set in the west, and everybody who was to be deceased was on the west banks. So on the Nile, you have the east and you have the west. On the east bank were all the learning institutions, all the spiritual institutions, because the sun rose on the east. And on the left bank, or the west, is where you had all the necropolis, all the grave sites, all the funerary homes, because that's where the sun set. And also, Asar. One of his nicknames was the Great Westerner. Okay, we're not talking about um, John Wayne. We're talking about Osar. Actually, you can look up in the night sky, and if you see Osiris, or I'm sorry, if you see uh, Orion, that is Osar. That is the comedic Osar. Okay, so we just went over two games really quick: Senate, which is the precursor to chess, and also a game called Tau, which was very similar to, I guess, the game of Senate, but a little bit different. Um, it doesn't seem like that was played in the other life or the the life in the fields of peace, but it was played mostly by the humans that were walking around here on Earth. But lastly, there was a game called the Game of the Bowl, and there isn't a lot of information about this particular game, but we do have this little inscription here. It's a paragraph I'm going to read to you. It says, the Game of the Bowl. We have no extraneous aims for determining the nature of this game as we have for those of Senate and Tau. We have indeed nothing but this picture, and that was the picture I described to you earlier where there is a circle, a bowl, and four men sitting around it kind of playing a, a particular game. It says, but however puzzling it may look may be solved by comparing it with other Egyptian games. Okay. Now, this particular game is very interesting to me. Because it says something in this next paragraph that I'm going to read, and I'm going to point it out when I get to it. It was played on a circular board, having a bowl in the middle, containing the stakes for which the game was played. Okay, we talk about stakes now. We know about high stakes. The stakes is high. We can see where this is leading us to. As also the pieces which succeeded in getting home. And this would account for the interest and excitement shown by the spectators who are watching the game. 
so it was a real sport because it had spectators. People would sit there and watch you play this game. As it, and this is the key part right here, as it was a game for money, it was evidently played with dice. Okay, this is proved by the hieroglyphic sign for this game, and it shows the little bowl, the bowl for holding stakes appearing between the two games. So, this was a game people gambled on. This was a gambling game. This was like going to the casino. This was like Vegas. This was like Atlantic City, uh, the game of the jar. So it held the pieces, and it held the money that everybody was playing for. It held the pot. So if you see some brothers shooting dice on the corner, don't discourage them. Don't put them down. You think back to the game of the jar, and you think back to these ancient depictions of us playing this pretty much since the beginning of recorded history. And you have to wonder why now it's being outlawed. Yeah, crazy things can happen. People can get mad because they're uh, being shortchanged. People can get hustled out of money. That can happen anywhere. As a matter of fact, we get hustled out of our money regularly, okay, uh, and not by each other on the corner. That's a whole other story. We'll get into that later. So that just gives you a nice little brief introduction to some ancient game plan. So you should have an idea now that it wasn't just them uh, building pyramids and engaging in mathematics and astronomy and science. Yeah, they had downtime too because they had to get their mind off of the, the horrors of life, of the tragedies of life. Okay? It's, it was psychologically important for us to play these games. So you can see it's in our blood to be good at games, to get skillful, to be able to learn. It's all encompassed in the game. That actually takes us right into our next article. This next article, because I don't want people to think, hey, it was only, only games were played in Egypt. Out of this big, gigantic continent, the only people that was playing games was in Egypt. And no, I don't think so. There are games all across the continent. As a matter of fact, many of you may have played a game called Moncala growing up. You ever played Moncala, Sister Beth? I don't think so. Can you hear oh, me? Okay. Yes, I, I, I just got you right I don't now. think so. I don't think so. Okay. No, no problem. Um, actually, I didn't get introduced to it until later on in my life. So, uh, you know, it's never too late to learn about this particular game, and it's actually a really fun game to play. I have a Moncala board right here in my home. Now, I want to tell some people about a few different games across the continent um, from West Africa to East Africa. And we'll just go over a little brief introduction of each one just so you get an idea of how these games were played and the similarities in them, okay? Number one, Choco, and this is from West Africa. It says, Choco is a game of strategy. And let me give you the breakdown of this article before I go any further. This article is called Games of Africa. Um, it doesn't have a date that it was written, but if you just look up Games of Africa from sinningston.com, www. C-Y-N-I-N-G-S-T-A-N.com, you will find it, Games of Africa, okay? So back to what we were talking about. It says Choco. Choco is a game of strategy played in the sand with sticks for pieces. It is a bit like drafts, but with the, usual, with the unusual twist that when you jump over your opponent's piece, you can select a second piece to capture from anywhere on the board. It is also a game of placement. The board starts empty, and you can choose in your turn whether to place a piece or to move one that was already on the board. Okay, So 
That's West African. So we already see right there, it might have come, excuse me, from Benin, Togo, Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, um, sorry, um, Ivory Coast, Senegal. Those are all on the West Coast of Africa, and it could have come from any one of those, okay? But one thing that I like to point out is that a lot of these games you could just play without any actual materials. You could literally go outside, figure out how to play these games, because as you can see here with Choco, it was played with sand and sticks for pieces. You could literally go to the sandbox, not have anything when you get there, have somebody else, go get you some sticks, and you can go play Choco, okay? So that's one. The next one I want to talk about is called Dogs and Jackals. Dogs and Jackals is a modern name of the race game from ancient Egypt. Two players start at opposite ends of the track with five, piece, with five pieces each. These pieces are raced around the board, which certain spaces act as shortcuts or setbacks. Basically, the first player to get all his or her pieces to a designated exit point wins the game. Okay? So they don't know what the ancient Egyptians called the game, but today it's called Dogs and Jackals only because they found the various pieces in tombs. Okay? So I'm going to continue. Some of you might have heard the game Gabata. Gabata is a three-rank Mancala game from Ethiopia. Okay? Now, these are all African games that a lot of us haven't heard of, but this will be excellent for your children, even for you to start picking up and playing. You can also teach about the culture based on these games while you're playing. The best way to learn something is when you're having fun. Okay? It locks into a different part of the brain. So let's continue. Uh, Gabata is a three-ranked Mancala game from Ethiopia, first recorded in the 19th century. Players try to capture one another's pieces by lifting and sewing, as in other Mancala games. It is characterized by a race at the beginning, players moving simultaneously until one player sews a piece into an empty hole. Okay? And then it talks about capturing and how you uh, basically become a captive. But I just wanted to give you a brief introduction. Then there's Hyena, played in the Sudan. So these are our ancient Nubian brothers and sisters. So we got now West Africa, and now we have the Sudan. So Hyena. Played the Sudan. The native game of native name of this game is Lib El Merafid, and it's often known in English as Hyena or the Hyena game. The rules of this game allow for little or no decision making, so this is evidently a game intended for young children. And the, basically, the scenario is that each player's mother, as the pieces are called, okay, must get safely from the start of the village around the, a spiral course, all the way to where they need to go, which is basically the end, okay. So that's how you play Hyena. Or, let me go by the, or, the original name, Lib El Ib El Merafib. Okay. And then lastly, I have to bring in a game that uh, is one of my favorites, and I actually use it with my students, and it is called Mkali. It is a mathematical game. And there used to be a documentary on Netflix called The History of Maths. And in the very first episode of that um, documentary, I looked for it on Netflix recently, and I could not find it, so I'm sure they've taken it off. But it's, it's probably somewhere floating on the Internet. But in the history of math, they go over Moncala and how Moncala was used not only as a game, but eventually to develop, develop the concept for the mathematical pie because this is how Moncala is played. You dig a few holes into the ground. You might dig four holes on your side, four holes on the other side. In each of those holes exist four pebbles. 
what you do is you grab the pebbles with one hand and you drop in each successive hole going counterclockwise. If you drop it into your bank, that's called your mancala. Okay, so the person who has the most seeds in their mancala or bank at the end of the game is the winner. It is mathematical because it has strategy, depending on where you pick up the, the seeds, where you drop them, how many there are, how many your opponent has, where their positions are, all of that matters. So it's not just simply a game of dropping seeds in a hole. You have to be strategic and you have to understand arithmetic. Okay? It helps us to develop mathematics as we know it, especially geometry. Well, let me read here what they have to say about it. So this family of board games is played throughout most of Africa, some parts of the Middle East, and further into Southeast Asia. Boards consist of a grid of holes, usually in a grid of two, three, or four rows. Pieces are seeds, beans are stones, which are piled into the holes in varying quantities. Players do not have their own set of pieces, but instead each player takes control of a particular half of the board and all the pieces that pass by his side are his. Okay, So just a brief introduction, but if you, uh, you know, have some time, just look up or just search how to play Moncala. You can even go to coolmathgames.com. You know, sometimes when I'm bored, I'll go on the Internet and I'll go play Moncala just for fun because it kind of keeps you sharp mathematically, if you, especially if you can beat the computer. So those are just a few of the games uh, that have been played throughout history, specifically dealing with our people. We know about Connect Four. We know about Sari. We know about Monopoly. But how many of us know about Moncala? How many know of, of us know about Tau? How many know about um, Sega or Mehen or these various games that we just talked about? Choco. Okay, this is important that we know these things. Um, matter of fact, Sega is a game that's still played to this day in Egypt as it was in ancient Egypt. We won't go too, too deep into it because I want to get to this other material, but I wanted to give everybody just a brief introduction into the plethora of games that we have. We're not just dunking basketballs. We're not just throwing touchdown passes. We are using strategy. We are using arithmetic. We are using geometry in our game, and it's been going on for quite some time. Now, we talked about how these games are also good for learning, which made me look into some of the aspects of why learning is so powerful when you're having fun. And this is what I came across. And this is an article by a woman by the name of Rebecca Bayek, and it is called African Board Games Should Be Introduced into the Classroom. And it is from Quartz, Africa. Okay. So I'm going to just read a couple of pieces, and then we'll continue. So basically it says, in reality, most of the things we know and a great number of the skills we acquire as children and adults are learned outside the classroom in conversations with peers, engaging in community service, and on the playground. Okay? Educators and researchers are increasingly recognizing opportunities for growth presented outside the classroom and are working to integrate them into classroom learning because it helps to develop non-cognitive skills such as patience and discipline, which are important for career and life success. Gameplay also develops a number of cognitive skills, including critical thinking and problem solving. Okay. 
The African continent has a long history of gameplay that extends back pre-slavery in pre-colonial times, and I'm very, very glad that this article uh, pointed that out in this article because most of the time we only going to get stuff that comes from 1865. So board games in particular have been used to teach or reinforce values as well as cognitive, more, cognitive motor skills. Let me read that again. Board games in particular have been used to teach or reinforce values. So if we're talking about we don't have certain values that we used to have, maybe it's because we're not having a pastime in which those values are on display. Okay, Good sportsmanship, um, competition, uh, accepting losses, joining a game. These are all social skills that people develop by playing games. I'll give you a perfect example. I work with a lot of children on the autism spectrum. Um, by the way, the new numbers just came out for autism spectrum, and I know we go over these numbers every time I come on, but they just went up again. They were 1 in 59 the last time I came on. Now they're 1 in 54. I know it's only five, mm. uh, you know, five people, but it, it's steadily increasing, which we said it was going to do. But I don't want to get too far off the path. Uh, okay. But I do work with students on the spectrum. What they have problems with and they have to be explicitly taught are those skills that we just talked about. How do you join a game? How do you take turns? How do you accept losses? That is one that they really, really struggle with. You might even know some people who don't do well when they lose. But when you're dealing with somebody on the spectrum, it is almost like um, if everything doesn't go perfect, there's going to be an extreme meltdown. So I could be playing checkers. If I make one bad move, I'm going to flip the board, throw maybe a 15-minute tantrum, I'm going to cry, I'm going to scream, I'm going to kick, I'm going to attempt to bite people. These things happen. I just had a student I was dealing with not too long ago who um, was going – I forgot what he was going to do, but one of his classmates was about to tell on him. Before the little girl could even get the words out of her mouth, he flipped, grabbed the teacher told the teacher she better not call his parents. The, she, she, she flipped out and didn't know what to do, so she approaches the phone. He rips the phone out the wall. He starts running around the class. Um, and I'm just saying this to say they are very, very perfectionist. And if things aren't going exactly how they like it, um, they're going to throw them, have a big meltdown. So basically games teach you these values, and I use games to help teach them those particular values. So Let's continue with this article because I want to get into what games teach. Okay, so legend has it that Owade was used in the 1700s, and Owade is basically a game that's very, very similar to Mancala that's played in Ghana. So a legend has it that Owade was used in the 1700s, Ghana, by Ashanti king Katakai Opoku. Ware, the first, to resolve issues between married couples. Okay? So that's how powerful it was. It was a game to even resolve issues in a court of law in the 1700s. A lot of us are from Ghana, if we look at our history, and this is how we would solve some of our problems. Okay? Today, board games remain equally popular and culturally significant. Though a growing number of researchers around the world are making the connection between playing and learning, the learning potential of African board games remains severely underexplored. My research, which focuses on mechanics, rules, and context, 
suggests that the creative use of these games could play an, an important role in formal education. And I will say that when I'm working with a beginning learner in arithmetic, one of the first things that we do is play Monte Carlo because you have to learn one-on-one correspondence, and that's what you will learn when you play in Monte Carlo. Okay? You learn things like similar but different. You learn things like strategy. All of these require specific skills, and if you break some of them down, you can see how important and powerful they are, okay? So this person broke down some of these uh, strategies and just kind of went into some different things that they uh, analyzed. So they say, my analysis shows that the board game should be viewed as unique and different. Each has its own mechanics, requires specific skills, and produces distinct learning outcomes. This means that the games could potentially be used to teach a variety of concepts and skills across a number of subjects and at different educational levels. So I'm saying, you know, to use them early. This person is saying you can use them across grade levels. You can use them throughout life, and you can use them throughout subjects. You don't just have to use it uh, for arithmetic. You can use it for a number of different things, okay? So they focused on the Awade to um, explain some of those skills. And like I said, Awade is very, very similar to Mancala, where you have your rolls of holes and your seeds, and you place them in the different holes in order to try to clear your board and get the most seeds. So the last part of this article is entitled, What's Next? Basically, where do you go from here? Okay. Games are certainly alternative spaces for learning and can advance education. The educational potential of African board games has long been argued by ethnomathematicians who study the relationship between mathematics and culture, and anthropologists, including scholars such as James Owusu, James Owusu Mensa, Arthur Powell, Oshan Temple, and Kofi Poku Kwan before. The field of game studies is emerging, and across the world, educators and researchers are exploring games to understand and enhance learning. But many of the digital games that are celebrated for the educational value are expensive and inaccessible to most people. African board games, on the other hand, are simply made and can even be reproduced or designed in a playground by digging holes in the ground. They couldn't be more right about that. The moment moment is therefore ripe for African board games to assume their proper place in this emerging field. An inventory of these games is an excellent first step, but there's much work to be done, and I could not agree with her more. As a matter of fact, if you want to look this person up, because I think I need to follow up with her, Rebecca Bayek is a Ph.D. candidate of learning and design technology and comparative and international education at Penn State University. So I'm I'm wondering where her research is taking her now because that was some excellent, excellent research that she did on board games and learning. So I really, really appreciate that. So that was perfect because it took us about the first hour to just get up to speed with black people, Africans, games, playing, the importance of the psychology, the philosophy, uh, game theory, and all those concepts because it's going to help us set up what's about to happen now. Okay, Now we're about to step into the fields. Where do we go from here? Okay, And one thing that we need to know as a people, especially being on lockdown and the increase in our activity online, is the three hottest trends for the coming decade. 
things are about to change drastically. We've talked uh, on this show about what we call high schools, not high school as an H-I-G-H, but as an H-Y for hybrid, where you have some work at home and you come in for a little bit of time and do some more work. I didn't think it was going to be coming this school year, but we definitely said it was going to be one of the upcoming trends. Now, everybody's at home. Everything is distance learning. Everything is online learning. People are fumbling through it massively. Um, when we come back on the show, I think next or this Saturday, we'll get into what education is about to look like from the legislation point of view to everything that's going on, to privacy issues with the different technology. We're going to get into all of that. But right now, I'm basically, I'm coronavirus out. A good way to get your mind off of the stress of coronavirus, even if you don't have it, is to think about games and play. That's what it's here for. So we're here to get into that science right now. And it's also very, very important for our future. So we are the three- kind of uh- – don't it kind of bring the family together, too, if you're all sitting there playing games, you know, the parents with the children or even the children playing games together? That's an excellent point. That is a social skill that a lot of us have lost, that ability, like mm-hmm. you said, to bond, to sit together, to talk, to laugh, to have setbacks, to to uh, encourage each other to do well, all those things happen sitting right around a board game. I remember growing up, and, you know, we still do it to this day, playing dominoes, spades, cards, you know, all those different things. Now what you see is isolation. Yeah. So people are playing games, but they'll play them on their phone, in their room, locked up with their headgear on. They they can't hear what's going on around them. But you are absolutely right. That's an excellent point. It is a way to bring the family and the entire community together because, remember, you used to have game night, and my grandparents would yeah. play backgammon. I still don't know how to play that. Um, backgammon, bridge, they would play all those games. And I remember people coming over, and my granddaddy did run numbers, so I'm sure there was a little bit of money on the table too. Right, so right. See, hey, that's history. We've been doing it for thousands and thousands of years. So, you know, that's yeah. nothing new under the sun. But, yeah, you, you hit but right you- on it. Um, but, go ahead. You know, also, when when you plan a game with a person, you can also kind of see a person's personality, too, because it comes out oh, in how they play that game. I, I wasn't even going to go there yet, but you brought it out already, like you always <laughs> do. But that's – here's something people really, really have to understand. Just like the Cambridge Analytica scandal where the – the psychological community basically set up online games through Facebook for people to play to get an idea of their personality so they can target ads to them. Okay, it's all about digital marketing, points you just made, because you are really able to figure out somebody's temperament by watching them play a game or play with them. It's, it kind of brings me back to uh, Black Mirror. Because in Black Mirror, mm-hmm. the very first episode of this last season was the two brothers playing this video game called Striking Vipers. And that was the one where they ended up morphing into video game players themselves um, and falling in love with each other because one was a boy and one oh, was yeah. in the video game world. Just right. crazy stuff. But what right. I will say that, that was real about that was that when you spend that much competitive time with another person, 
you do develop another level of a bond. I can just think about the many yeah. hours I spent playing Madden and NBA Live and Street Fighter with my friends growing up and how we would cuss each other out. We would have hugs and laughs and tears and, you know, different things were happening in your life at that time, and they were all associated with that particular game. But I also had friends who would kick balls off the roof when they lost, break controllers when they lost. I've had washing machines broken in my house because friends have lost. I've had telephone books thrown off my roof because friends have lost. So you really do get to see how people act when they are faced with adversity, pressure, especially pressure. Yeah. You get to tell a lot about yeah. yourself dealing with those yeah. type of pressure. Can I make a good decision when I'm literally about to lose my shit on these people right now? Excuse my French. But this is yeah. how you feel, and that, that's exactly what you said. You really get to tell somebody's temperament. Um, quitters, a lot of people who quit, they are – They have difficulties with emotional regulation because they know if I continue to play, I may do something uncharacteristic. So a lot of times they just quit. I don't want to play no more. I'm not going to win, so I'm not going to play anymore. Okay. So that's an excellent point, Sister Bev. And I think I have a ton of stuff here, but if we get to that, that would be fantastic. But before we do get to that, I do want to set up how we got to where we are today, and that is the three hottest entertainment trends for the coming decade. So this is an article you can get from FN Media Group. Um, No, that's not a good one. PRNewsWire.com. PRNewsWire.com. And the title is The Three Hottest Entertainment Trends for the Coming Decade. Okay. So, number one, the streaming wars are heating up. Okay. We all know about the different streams that are coming out um, from Disney Plus. You got Netflix out already. You got Hulu, Amazon, all that. But what people are not understanding is that most streamed hours come from watching people playing video games. So I think Twitch is like the main streaming service for video game players. And Twitch gets more views than I want to say. Um, YouTube, Netflix, and the next highest one combined because that's where all the view- viewership is, okay? So streaming wars are heating up. Since just last year, viewers spent over 6.6 billion hours watching their favorite players online. That's why Amazon paid nearly $1 billion to acquire streaming giant Twitch. $1 billion is what Facebook paid um, Instagram to get them, okay? So that's how important this Twitch is. And honestly, you can say that Instagram really saved Facebook, and it's probably worth more than that billion that they got. Okay, But anyway, Amazon Twitch TV as the de facto leader in the space with over 15 million unique visitors per day has become so ingrained in the industry that new video game consoles even have the platform streaming functionality built in. So if you have an Xbox 360 or any of the newer Xboxes that are coming out, Twitch is already built in. All you got to do is literally sign in, and you can start streaming live right there. Okay, It's so popular that it accounts for 1.8% of peak Internet traffic. So people aren't watching TV. People ain't watching soap operas or anything else, or even sports for that matter. They're watching people play video games. 
because even Microsoft is looking to get into the game with its acquisition of Mixer, another streaming service. In fact, eager to get new subscribers, Microsoft paid a rumor $100 million to get Fortnite superstar Tyler Ninja Blevins on its platform. I'm sure you heard of uh, Fortnite, Sister Bev. Yeah, the grandchildren play that. Yeah, the grandchildren play that. You know about Fortnite. We'll get into that in a second. But basically, they have paid this white boy named Tyler Ninja Blevins $100 million just to get him to get people on their service. So he hasn't even signed with them. That's just to, you know, for him to represent. So this is big money here. This is a video game player that we're talking about is offered a $100 million contract. We barely even hear $100 million contracts um, you know, in sports. You are lucky. You are one of the top. 10%, maybe top 5% in your sport if you are getting a $100 million contract, okay? So let's continue with this. While Amazon and Microsoft face off, however, another company is quietly operating in the shadows of the streaming boom and position, positioning itself uh, to fill in the key role, and that's called Torque. I'm not going to get into too deep into Torque, but that one's coming too. So Understanding how players interact with the games help developers create hits like Take-Two's Grand Theft Auto V, which clocks as the third highest selling video game of all time, generating over $6 billion in revenue. Thanks to the data they've collected, they have been able to create entire universes for their players' bases, packed with compelling stories, interfaces that truly transport gamers into the worlds they've created. Okay, so that's one. Streaming wars is heating up. Number two is big in Asia, not just China. Actually, the biggest place for esports and gaming is South Korea. Okay, the Koreans are heavy into gaming because it's such a small country and people are so packed so tightly, and they have much much better high speed internet than we do. They are much much bigger into the esports and gaming industry, and it's very very competitive and cutthroat. Okay, but let me get into a little bit about. Just China, just really quick, because some of these companies we need to be familiar with. And actually, we always talk about the FANG stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and even NVIDIA. But we never talk about the BAT stocks, which are from China, which are uh, uh, Alibaba, Tencent, uh, Baidu, and Sun – what is it? Uh, Not SunDisk, but it's Sun something, SunCell or something like that. I'll figure it out in a second. But the BAT stocks are essentially the FANG stocks of China or of Asia. So what it says here is that as part of its ambitious and aggressive plan to capture its share of the Asian markets, Huya is looking to partner with some of the top teams in the business. It's got a massive war chest to help its call. The streaming giant is already a force to be reckoned with, but it's only going to grow from here. Another player in the market in Asia is Tencent Holdings. The Chinese tech giant responsible for WeChat and QQ has not ignored the video game boom. But look at who Tencent has on their um, their roster. Not only is its subsidiary Riot Games responsible for one of the world's most played esports game ever, League of Legends, boasting over 89 million players, it also has taken a significant stake in other game developers. Tencent's portfolio includes shares in Activision, Ubisoft, and even a 40% stake in Epic Games, the producer of Fortnite. 
So if you want to know who puts out Fortnite, you're talking about Tencent, and that's one of the bat stocks. Okay, Tencent produces Fortnite and the other most popular game where people are actually getting paid to play called League of Legends. Now, I would encourage people to go onto whatever streaming service I'm streaming, search engine that you choose or you know video search that you choose, and look up some of the gameplay on some of these games. Uh, a lot of players at the same time, they're working cooperatively together, beautiful maps, but it's kind of hard to follow if you're not really immersed in this gaming world, okay? If you watched it, you probably just say, well, what is this? But the more you kind of get integrated into it, it starts to make a little bit of sense, and you see the skill that it takes and the high level of commitment it takes to play these types of games. As a matter of fact, the, these League of Legends players are making millions of dollars each tournament, uh, and it's only getting bigger and bigger because the big advertisers are coming in now. The big publishers are coming in now. As you can see, they've offered um, Tyler Blevins $100 million for a contract, and he's not even the best player out. Well, he is for Fortnite, but as far as League of Legends, there's a Korean dude by the name of Faker, and he routinely kills in that game. And he's raking in over probably $10 million a year just off of playing video games, okay? That's, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about checkers and Connect Four here. We're talking about some serious gaming, okay? And lastly, Willing and Dylan. And basically, Willing and Dylan, that's the last section of this article. It just talks about what I just said, which is big coming in and throwing big money at these people, at these teams, at these game developers to produce games and to allow them to advertise on their various platforms. So, yeah, so this would so, um, this would be something that some of our young people would go. This would be something for them to go into developing games. You are right on the right track because that's exactly where we're about to go. Oh, that okay. is such a big industry; it is continuing to grow. And the pieces of the pie are getting bigger and bigger. But my question is, where are we at? Okay, that's always my question. Where are we at? And, we, and this is the thing. We are the second highest demographic for playing video games in the United States. But we make up less than 2% of overall game developers. Not only does that cut us out of the revenue, but it cuts us out of the various jobs that are outside of just being a player such as a sound engineer or, or a software developer or a coder, all of these jobs that are around this, you know, um, entrepreneurs in the field. And what we're going to do to sweeten the pot a little bit is we are going to go over the top 10 black people in video games today. So I don't want the family to think we all left out because we're in there, but we're definitely not represented like we need to be. And also our image is on the line. If you play Grand Theft Auto, if you play Fortnite, if you play a lot of these games, you get to see black people are portrayed in a much more stereotypical position than probably in, in any movie you've ever seen. You talk about step and fetch it, go look at some of these video games and see how you treat it. And whether you're in a strip club or whether you're on the Kona or whether you know, you're throwing dice on the Kona and, and drinking the Fody, they got you doing all of that. Okay? And billions of people are playing this hours and hours. So when they come outside and see you, what do you think they think? That's why you have to be able to control your image, and that's why we're talking about this today. So why is this important? We know about the trends that are coming up, so we see what's happening. 
But what does this have to do with education, okay, and psychology? This is where we go from there. And this is from financeyahoo.com, college esports and seven pioneering programs, okay? So right up the street from you, Sister Bev, is a university called Oakland University in Michigan. It recently announced right. that it will invest. In- oh, so you know about this this university? Yes, I do. Oh, excellent. So what they just did is they are well, they offered to invest a hundred thousand dollars into the program, which will offer partial scholarships to students to play video games. So we're always talking about, uh, you know, you better shoot that ball. You know, you better knock that ball out the park. That's how the only way you're gonna get a scholarship. Well, nowadays, you better get them clicks in faster. You better move that controller around. You better press them buttons a little bit more rapidly. That's what's coming because they're offering scholarships now for eSports. So let's talk a little bit about what schools are offering them. And if you live in these areas, these schools have programs that you might want to be in. Okay. So Oakland University is one of them. $1,000 they're going to invest. And the teams that they have will play Super Smash Brothers. That was one of my favorite pastimes in college. I wish I would have been able to make some money back then. Rocket League. And like I just talked about, League of Legends, uh, the school said during a press conference. The school will also partner with professional esports team, Team Renegades, in a mentoring arrangement. So not only are they going to be teaching them uh, games and gamification, they're also going to be teamed up with a professional sports e-team. Okay? They're joining more than 150 other schools, members of the National Association of College Esports, and about 170 of them already have varsity esports programs. So where did this happen? A lot of people are saying, well, I didn't even know there was one esports program at these colleges, but we can see already over 170. So let's look at some of them. Robert Morris. Okay, this is a school in Chicago. I know we got some fam and village out there in Chicago. If you know about Robert Morris, this is what they're going to do. This school in Chicago is a true pioneer of esports, usually getting the credit for starting the whole thing at the collegiate level when it announced scholarships for, guess what? League of Legends back in 2014. Robert Morris finished atop a recent list of the top 20 colleges for League of Legends players compiled by OnlineCollegePlan.com that used tournament scores and scholarships, among other factors, to make their rankings. Next one, if you're in St. Louis, Maryville University. Uh, that school is proud that it's frequently mentioned among the powerhouses in the new world of college esports. Okay? It's offered its uh, it's won its first national title, League of Legends, in title of uh, 2016 with a 40-0 record and a second crown in, 20 in 2017, and they won again in 2019. So right now, that's the spot. Okay, Robert Morris College in Chicago is where you want to be if you want to go to eSports. Okay? Next one, if you were in Missouri, the University of Mizzou, okay, the University of Missouri was the NACE's Fall 2019 Rocket League Championship and its first season. Mizzou Rocket League is your 19, 2019 NACE Rock League Champions. Okay? Like their non-esports counterparts, sports teams have their own apparel. So you can see where this is going. This is very, very interesting. And we keep going because there are some that are even, close, even closer. Columbia College, okay? What is it about Columbia, Missouri that makes good esports players? Just up the road from Missouri is the same town, Columbia College. So Missouri seems like the state to be in if you want to go into esports, okay? And guess what they play in? Yep, League of Legends. 
They finished last spring at the top team in the ESPN League of Legends coaches poll. You might say ESPN. Are we talking about sports? Yeah, we're talking about esports. Even ESPN has gotten into broadcasting these esports games. Right down the street from me in California. If anybody listening, uh, any of the fam, the village listening in, UC Irvine. UCI should make any list of great teams in any sport simply because their mascot is an anteater named Peter. No pun intended. But the anteaters also have a strong esports tradition, offering scholarships in League of, Le- League of Legends and Overwatch. The school, which was one of the first public universities to offer esports, says more than 70% of its students participate in some form of gaming. Okay? One of the bigger schools that I found on this list is Utah, the University of Utah, the Utes. Utah created the first college-sponsored varsity esports program at a Power 5 athletics conference school, and some people there call it Gamer U. The team plays Hearthstone, Rocket League, and once again, League of Legends. So if you have heard one game over and over and over again, you've heard League of Legends. So I would encourage people to at least go check that out. Uh, especially the younger, because the younger they start to get familiar with it, the better chance they have to get involved. Now, so what schools are offering these different type of scholarships. So uh, what we need to know now is who is receiving these scholarships and what are they doing with them and where are we at? That's when we go into an article called Why Aren't More Black Kids Going Pro in These Sports? And this is from TheUndefeated.com, and it does not – oh, March 27, 2018, by LaToya Peterson. And this is a sister, and she really, really breaks it down here. I'm just going to go over it to a little bit because it's kind of a long article. It says, the professionalization of sports changed the math of millions of young African Americans, both male and female, providing careers, scholarships, and a pathway to fame and further fortune. Now – Esports is quickly rising to become the next iteration of big states' competitive play. Boasting a digital-first, broadly global audience, the esports marketplace ranked in $696 million in 2017, and they're actually projecting revenues to exceed $1 billion by 2020, and I think they've already exceeded $1 billion, honestly. Um, I think they're supposed to be at maybe $20 billion by 2024. That's how fast it's growing. You know, what's going on? It says, within the esports juggernaut, there's a pronounced and growing racial gap in the player pools. African-American representation on the major teams and in the highest-profile events is abysmal. There are high-profile players of color, such as Zachary Afro-Moo Black and Dominique Sonic Fox McLean. But why are there so few other black players making it to the top of the various leagues? And this is where it got real, real interesting to me. I didn't even think that this was uh, a thing. And so I started to look further into it. And basically what we're going to get into is another form of racism where you have the PC gamers versus the console gamers. Now, what is a PC? A PC is a private computer, personal computer, that you'll play most of these games like League of Legends, Overwatch, Hearthstone. Those are all played on PCs. Then you have a a whole other set of games like – that are competitive, Super Smash Brothers, NBA Live, or ES, uh, NBA 2K, Madden, that are usually played on consoles with a joystick. Okay, That's what black people usually play. 
if you go into any of our houses, you are definitely uh, apt to hear something about some Madden being played, okay, or something to that nature. But the divide starts right there. What you start to see in these little chats is that they start to call the PC players call themselves the PC master race. So you can already see where that's lining up, and everybody else is considered peasants. So even though I spent tons and tons of hours playing video games, I wouldn't even be considered a gamer because I don't play on a PC. I play the stuff that, you know, that I grew up playing with, you know, my friends want to play. I didn't know anything about these particular games. Counter-Strike, Dota, League of Legends, StarCraft, all these other, you know, games that were about to start making millions and millions of dollars. But this is where you start to see the divide. And why does this happen? Well, let's get into it a little bit. It says the answer may lie in the foundations of esports. The actual video games many of us played growing up. PC games such as Dota, League of Legends, StarCraft, Counter-Strike grew into their own ecosystems. Over time, spectators gathered, communities grew, and funding started to flow. But for console games such as Call of Duty, Super Smash Brothers, Halo, and Street Fighter, Street Fighter was another one of my games. I was, I was no joke in Street Fighter. The communities grew, but the same funding and opportunities didn't materialize. As esports matures, the one thing has become crystal clear. The PC console divide has inadvertently become a racial divide, with white and Asian players featured most heavily on the PC side and African-American and Latino players on the other. Now, it says this divide isn't sacrosanct. Clearly, there are black and Latino players who have found their home in the PC sports, but the prevalence of the divide should give any fan of esports a pause. Hmm. Because as we go into here, we have to figure out there's a deeper, deeper problem that we're dealing with. It says, from what we know about race and esports, there should be a lot more diversity reflected in pro ranks. Nielsen is one of the few outlets publishing demographic data, and the breakdown was not made available in 2017. But from what they do have, um, they were able to find out this. It says an ESPN fan survey of the esports landscape conducted in 2017 does provide a breakdown of casual fans and avid fans by racial breakdown. African Americans are 19% of those who identify as fans and 22% of those who identify as avid fans. But we're 13% of the U.S. population overall. So we obviously love video games. That's not a problem. Okay. But why are we not getting into the ones that actually could lead us into getting some money? And then they have a few pie charts so that you can see the difference between who's playing what um, and the barriers there. So one of the barriers, obviously, is um, money. You can go buy an Xbox, a PlayStation 4, um, you know, a Wii, a Switch, for a couple of hundred dollars, be able to play the games right out the box. That's that. But in a PC situation, you have to buy an entire PC system. You have to buy Internet access. You, if you want to be competitive, you have to have the best equipment, which is going to cost you even more money. So you can see already there's that financial divide on top of the racial divide. So there's a big barrier to us getting in there. And then we talked about these other careers that you can go into. Well, if I'm just playing Madden, NBA Live, 2K, I'm thinking of going into the NBA, or I'm thinking of just playing these games. But if I'm playing Dota, League of Legends, my career opportunities outside of the games open up. Once again, I can be a coder. 
I can be a software developer. I can be an artist. I can be a music producer for the video games. I can be uh, a designer for the video games, character development, whatever the case may be. But we have to be on the right pipeline. So what I would suggest is to have your children start to gain interest in some of these games. It's not that you can't play these games. It's not that they're not for you. It's that you just have not been exposed to it yet. And once you get involved, like everything else that you do, you will trickle to the top. They say cream rises to the top, but I know something else that rises to the top, and that's melanin. Encourage your children. Even if you have somebody, this is good for anybody that's between the ages of about 12 and 19. They should listen to this episode. If you listen to this right now, share this with somebody who has a 12 to 19-year-old or make sure that they listen to themselves because now you're setting yourself up for a very, very bright future. And guess what? Who's still working through all of this? Everybody's shut down. If you have to go to a physical job, you, you can't work. But if you're a game developer, software developer, gamer, you, your life has not changed at all, okay? They're still going to work every day. They log in in the morning. They work it remotely. They probably get on Zoom, Teams, Google Hangouts, or whatever, and they're doing the same thing. So there's no reason. Black people have been hit hard by this coronavirus financially, not medically, but financially because of all the shenanigans going on. This is a way you can mitigate that if something like this happens again. Okay, we always talking about having, having some alternatives. Now, Sister Bev, you talked a little bit earlier about differences in the way we play games. We used to get together and uh, make it like a family affair, and we would you know, console with each other. It would be a time of growing and learning each other. And also, you said you could find out people's personalities. So what they also found out was that black people play games for different reasons than white and Asian players. So I want to get into the, the psychology of that a little bit, okay? So let, let's look okay. at this. Betsy DeSalvo, and this is the same article, a researcher at Georgia Tech began trying to identify these trends as her first year uh, computer science students after noticing low African-American participation. And it even shows you how to get to her research, too, because I'm actually interested in that. She did it in partnership with Morehouse College, so she went to a HBCU, and it revealed some fascinating dynamics about African-American men and preferred modes of play. So the study of play practices suggests young African-American men play in specific ways that differ from the groups who tend to leverage gaming interests into computing interests. African-American men tend to Use fewer cheat codes and modifications and value good sportsmanship. I cannot tell you how many times <laughs> I have gotten into either arguments or, you know, straight-up fights with people, uh, associates or friends over somebody cheating or perceived cheating or even the computer cheating. It may not have even been me or the other person that was cheating. It could have been a glitch in the computer. And one of us would just stop playing because we don't we have no tolerance for cheating. If we're gonna play, play right. And the best person will win. But don't come at me with no shenanigans cheating. That's just how we are. Okay? So we we use fewer cheats and modifications and value good sportsmanship. And that's exactly what you was hitting on earlier, Sister Bear. Also, we play on console systems. We already talked about that. We're playing Madden, NBA Live, uh, Street Fighter and the like. Also, we place a high value on competition. We don't usually like to play against our younger brothers and sisters, even though that can help them get better and get interested in certain things. 
because they're just weak. You know, to us, we would say, you're weak. We don't, you know, you're not going to bring me any enjoyment from the com- competitive side. So I'd rather wait for my friend to get off work or, you know, whatever, to get, wait for him to get out of school or whatever the case may be, and we'll go play. Also, we play in multi-generational family settings like we just talked about. So we will play with the children, but only if we're around the same age or the same competitive level. If we're not the same level, we don't want to be bothered. So her research is trailblazing in many ways and can be applied to a variety of findings in computer science programs. And while her initial findings do have interesting implications for competitive gaming, they don't apply specifically to esports, which rose to prominence after her research began. Okay, So basically what all of this article is saying is that your entry and your interest into going into um, esports-related careers and just computer-related fields in general can start very early with the games that you play, okay? So if you're playing on the console, it's less likely that they're going to be interested in going into software development, coding, and the computer sciences than if you're playing games that are on the PC, okay? You play what you want. You play what makes you and your family happy, but this is what we're going to have to start doing if we're moving the generation, the family, the village in a certain direction, okay? So the last thing I want to go over this I I can see uh, this being like if a person going to uh, like one of your schools or African Center School, I can see this being like a very popular class. You know, teaching, that would be part of the class, teaching them on the PC. You are already gearing them in that direction. Sister Bev, you are a genius. One of the things that we have been discussing lately is offering a game uh, development class um, at the Jet Institute of Learning and teaching gaming at a very, very early age of seven. Yeah. Now, yeah. That's, a, that's a brilliant idea. But obviously there comes with some concerns. The amount mm-hmm. of time that you have to spend to get to competitive level leaves you very little time for social skills. You can be a good basketball player, shoot a good jump shot, and still go party at night. You can be an excellent quarterback and throw long touchdown passes and still, you know, get around to doing things that you used to do with your friends. But when you get into this field, it takes a lot of your time. So there are sacrifices that you got to make. If we want to move into a, a certain level, you're right. There are sacrifices we got to make, but you're right. It can be a very, very yeah. popular class because it already well, is. I already it's see. Fun. Yeah, because I already see, uh, looking from at the young people in my family, I mean, they come home, they do their homework, and they right there on that game after they get finished. You know, and it might be three, four, five of them on the game at the same time. Absolutely. So in school, in school, you're teaching them the basics, but then they're going to get their practice on at, at home because they're going to play it anyway. So why not play what they're learning in school? That's an excellent point. That is an excellent point. And then once you start to get competitive, who knows what may happen when that seven-year-old is 15 or 16 now they're on a team, and they're going across the world, seeing things, yeah. getting sponsorships. Either they're playing or maybe they go into the field doing something else. Maybe they're behind the scenes. You don't know. 
once again, right. you have helped them take off. So that is that yeah. was a brilliant statement that you made. You're on planet. And let's look at some. You're on planet. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, I was just going to go to some of these figures because I I think the people need to understand the type of money we're talking about here. So I'm going to go down the top prize pools um, for these top games. Number one, Dota Two International. The person or the people or the team who won that series last year got $24,787,916. Okay. This is what we, we talk about this type of money. But that's if you pay, play Dota 2 International. So you can start off there. If you don't want to play Dota 2, we talked about League of Legends Agnosium during this um, talk. League of Legends, $4,946,970. Still not bad. Okay, you split that between a five-team, you know, five-person team. You guys ain't doing too bad with a meal each, almost. You know, uh, and they say League of Legends is just like basketball. You got five players. You got to destroy the other person's nexus, and you guys have to work together. Very, very interesting because that's something that we're very good at. But as we keep going, the Capcom Cup, which is like a mixture of different games, they pay three hundred eighty thousand dollars to their winners. And Street Fighter Five, I might have to go enter this competition. It's probably the only thing I can play. You only get $100,000. Okay, so you can play all year. And, you know, if you do win, that's a good salary for a year. But think about all those players who lost and spent all that time to not get anything back. Okay, so we see what you can get as far as being a player in these different industries. We see the discrepancy, too, between the console-based like Street Fighter, which is only getting a hundred thousand, and the PC base, where League of Legends is getting five million and Dota International getting twenty five million. So there's a very, very big discrepancy. So what do we do about this? Okay. And obviously her um synopsis is that we should push more African American men and women into this particular field. Okay. Um but be prepared. It's just like desegregating the schools. If you have a hostile environment um, where a lot of racism takes place, you know, a lot of these memes come from the gamers. Um, a lot of the vitriol and the hate speech actually comes from the gamers, especially in these chat boxes. You've got to have thick skin. So if you're a pioneer, you're going into these different aspects and these different areas, and you're trailblazing, you have to be prepared for some setbacks, Okay. But don't worry about it because there are some trailblazers already doing their things, and I want to get into them uh, because I want to make sure that we highlight those that are actually uh, giant to the field already. So I'm going to skip over a little bit of the stuff I was going to bring up from uh, basically the stuff that they do to try to discourage us from things that they put in the chat box, the different names that they use. You know what? Actually, I will bring up just one really quick because I think it's important that people know. It's called the try-hard meme. The try-hard meme. Now, the try-hard meme comes from a black player who's actually pretty good at Hearthstone. Now, the try-hard meme is a meme. You can look it up, and it's basically a brother's face, and he's kind of smiling like a half-baked smile on his face. But what they have done, and this is this supposed PC master race, is whenever a black person is streaming a video game online and it's you know a big forum, they will flood the chat box with try-hard memes. They will flood the chat box with other 
you know, racially inappropriate or insensitive material. Pepe the Frog is something that they love to use. But we went deep into the science on Pepe. As a matter of fact, he's actually one of our ancient deities that they've taken and they've used for their own good. So this is just some of the things that you do have to watch out for and develop thick skin for if you plan on going into this particular field. So, But then you know, all you got to do is uh, you, you add that into part of the game theory, how to play the game. Mm. You add that into it. Wow. And I didn't even, yeah, I can't even put that together, but that's an excellent point. We talked about game theory earlier, and this is exactly what it applies to, a situation just like this. You know, do I stay quiet or do I continue to do my thing? What is the best thing for me to do to come out on top? So, yeah, you got to keep going. Simple as that. But what I will um, ask people to watch out for is to not become one of these video games because slowly what we're seeing is that the likenesses of people and um, a lot of their images are being taken without their knowledge and used in very, very popular video games. That's another reason why we have to take our image back. For example, we talked about Fortnite earlier, and you said a lot of your grandkids play that. But do they know that Fortnite keeps stealing dances, and no one knows if it's illegal or not? That's the name of this particular article that I'm not going to go into, but I do want to highlight a couple of things in it. So this is from TheVerge.com, 12-2018, and Fortnite Keeps Stealing Dances and No One Knows If It's Illegal by Nick Stat. So what this goes into is a few legal cases where Epic Game is being sued by uh, the person who invented Invented the Millie Rock. So if anybody knows about the Millie Rock, Fortnite is being sued for that. The rapper named Two Millie. Also, his name is Terrence Ferguson. And also Carlton from Fresh Prince of Bel Air is also suing Fortnite right now because they stole the Carlton and used it without his permission. But the problem we're going in, getting into, is they're trying to figure out if that's something that can even be copyrighted. Because one dance move does not consider it choreography. This is what the argument is right now. They're saying, well, we might hold off on giving you and awarding you um, any sums of money during this case because we're not sure if just you doing this dance is, you know, can be copyrighted or tra- trademarked. Just because you do the Carlton, you did the Carlton in character, but the character is owned by a media company, so maybe they should be getting paid. So that's what they're trying to hash out right now. But if we controlled our own likenesses, that's not something we have to worry about. Exactly. Another situation, absolutely. Another situation, and this was funny. I'm sure you guys have probably heard about this. But Hasbro, toy company Hasbro, officially owns Death Row Records. Now, this happened because basically Suge Knight and them had to foreclose on file bankruptcy. Then it was owned by another media company. I think it was like uh, – I can't remember the name of it. Um, it's in the article, but like uh, Music One or something like that media group. E, E1, Entertainment One, they owned it, and Entertainment One is a subsidiary of Hasbro. If you know about Hasbro, Hasbro also produces some of the oldest board games that we know of, Okay. 
But what are they right. doing with this big gigantic cache of of you know uh, death row stuff? So let me just go into a little piece of this. Uh, toy company Hasbro officially owns Death Row Records um, by Big Said. This is January second, twenty twenty. Um, can you make fun, feel, and enjoyable to- toys for children and own the catalog to Hip Hop's most notorious label? Well, this is just what happened with Hasbro, the world's largest toy maker, became the new owner of Death Row Records. Now, I'm going to skip a lot of the fluff. And I'm going to get into what we need to be watching out for. It says, the total cash consideration was approximately $3.8 billion. The company placed an announcement on its Instagram account. We are excited to announce that we are one Hasbro. Death Row Records was started by Suge Knight and Dr. Dre in 91. The label was once a home for artists Dr. Dre, Snoop, Michelet, Tupac, Nate Dogg, Dog Pound, MC Hammer. Soundtracks for the movies Above the Rim, which is one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. Gridlocked and gang-related were distributed by Death Row Records. But they filed for bankruptcy in 2006, and they talk about the different channels that they went through. But then we need to figure out what's about to happen next because what they can do is they have the likenesses. You might be seeing a Snoop Dogg board game coming out pretty soon or maybe a Suge Knight mm-hmm. video game coming out because they own the rights. They can pretty much do whatever they want, and they have the music to play in the background if they wanted to as well. So this is the things that we need to be watching out for. We worried about the wrong. Now, stuff. how come? This, right. How how come when they went into bankruptcy, why they didn't go to Dr. Dre or some of the other that, guys and make a deal with them? That they, Barry Gordy, Dr. Dre, right. L.A. Reed, all of these brothers out there. That is a very good right. question. I can't even I couldn't even answer that. But you know, maybe it comes down to some trust issues. Maybe it comes down to I nobody. I you really get ready to lose it. it. You get ready to lose it anyway. True. You know, so That's I mean, you're true. going into bank. You you having problems because you're going into bankruptcy. So if yeah. you if you having problems, why let it get into other hands like it did when you could have kept you. it in? You know, well, we got to learn no, business, you. like you say, strategy. We look like strategy. we have no strategy. That's acting and said it better myself. Absolutely no strategy. I'm not even sure if they had a strategy when they started it. It may have just blew up and got out of control so quick that they never really developed a business sense to continue to control everything. But you're right. Yeah. Why just give it away for pennies on the dollar? Right. You could at least give it to somebody, one of your partners, where you could have had some partial control, or say, or at least Something. somebody else who could continue keeping it going. You know, yeah. look at the music we're talking about here. This is not universal music. This is obviously geared towards us. It's not the best yeah. as far as the message it has in there, but it is still entertainment at the end of the day. So if people can look at it as entertainment, it still has that value. So you're absolutely right. And I could, uh, I could see them okay. like really getting over just on the names, you know, that they're going to, if they make the board, the games, it's under those names. <laughs> it's it's almost comical. It's almost yeah. This is what Hasbro already owns: Nerf, My Little Pony, Transformers, Play-Doh, Monopoly, Baby Alive, Magic the Gathering, Power Rangers. It is not too far 
before you might see Power Rangers and Death Row together. Not too far. A Death Row Monopoly board. That is not out yeah. of the question at all. So, you know, this is what we're talking about here. Strategy, game theory, and going into certain fields that are going to allow you to control your image and likeness. Yeah. So that is a lot of information that we covered. And I have tons more articles here. But well, I we I didn't even home. I was so I was so into uh, what you're saying. I didn't even look at the clock. We are we have like 11 minutes left. <laughs> you're telling me I'm just <laughs> I'm doing the same thing. I'm just going to read these articles. It's so fascinating that I'm like I'm gonna run out of time. I got so much stuff here. I can't. I'm not gonna be able to get through it all. But before we do go, I know we got 11 minutes. I have to highlight. The 10 African-Americans in the video game industry really quick before we wrap this up. Okay. Go get the article from Black Entertainment. It was it was put out a while ago, August 29, 2016, by Samara Lynn, and it's called Top, Five, Top 10 African-Americans in the Video Game Industry. African-Americans make up a significant demographic of the video gamers, the second largest ethnic group to play after Asian-Americans, yet – there's a paucity of African-Americans in the video game industry. Only two and a half of gamers, game developers, are people of color. Okay? So that just sets it up. But who do we need to know about? Because it's not like we out there uh, not doing anything. Top ten African-Americans in the video game industry. Number one, Andrew Augustine. Augustine is a founder and creative director of Notion Games, LLC. He is also the black entertainment modern man. Before launching his own company, he worked for Edge of Reality as a character designer and then as a world builder for The Sims 3, Pets for Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. So go ahead, Andre, or Andrew, my bad, do your thing. Then we got Gordon Bellamy. Bellamy started his career as a lead designer for EA's Madden franchise. Okay, did y'all hear that? We play a whole lot of Madden. Why don't you develop? He did. He was a lead designer for EA's Madden franchise. He also served as he also served as executive director of the International Game Developers Association. He recently co-founded Hangry Studios, a consulting firm focused on quality assurance and automation for PC, mobile, and virtual reality games. Okay. Then we got Morgan Morgan Gray. They said he's worked on games from Tomb Raider to Star Wars and to the Bureau. And then this is one I really, really like the information that he gave. His name is Derek Mann. Manns is the founder of Sungura Games. In an interview with Black Enterprise, he said his company is primarily African-American and is steady. I love hearing that. So if anybody, everybody that's listening to this should just flood the search engines with Sungura Games because this is something we need to know about. Flood your search engines right now with that. Wait a minute. What, what's the name? What's the name? What's Sungura. the name? Again? I'm gonna spell it because it is kind of hard to pronounce. Oh uh, yeah. S U N, S U N G U R A Games. Sungura Games. Okay. And his he said okay. yeah, primarily black company and they steady. But then he goes on to say, he offered this advice for those seeking a career in video games. Quote: Those looking to join gaming. Make sure you're good at arithmetic. Also, look into schools that offer gaming in undergrad, unquote. 
Those are the things that we made sure we hit on here today. Knowing that you're good at math and making sure you go to a school that offers gaming in undergrad. Okay, so he had the best advice, I think, out of anybody here. But I'm going to continue to go down the list. Dennis Matthews, he, he was the founder of Revelation Interactive Game Development. Okay, uh, Marcus Montgomery, he was a the founder of WeAreGameDevelopers.com, a platform for supporting diversity in the gaming industry. It says he made news recently by modifying a black Barbie doll into a game developer doll for his wife, who is also a game developer. Ain't that sweet? Hmm. Next, we got Joseph Salter. Salter is the founder of Entertainment Arts Research, a leader in the video game industry. Okay, uh, as a matter of fact. He's probably the best academician on this list because it says that he is the chairman of the International Game Developers Association's Diversity Advisory Board and the author of a series of game design and development textbooks published by McGraw-Hill. So he's, he's pretty serious. And then this is what I would like to hear. Laura Teclamarium. Teclamarium works as a senior product manager for gaming and entertainment – I'm sorry, for gaming – and entertainment giant EA, Electronic Arts. They make uh, Madden. They make NBA Live. They make Star Wars Jedi The Fallen Order. EA is a giant in the game game industry. Um, she graduated with a degree in electrical engineering slash computer science from guess where? UC Irvine. And we said that was one of the top schools if you want to go into gaming. So this sister right here proved it for you. Uh, senior product manager for one of the biggest gaming uh, companies on the planet. Then we have Lisette Titre, who's an ACG artist and a computer animator. Okay, so these are some of those other uh, careers that you can go into. Um, she worked on Tiger Woods Golf for Nintendo's Wii, The Simpsons, and Dante's Inferno. And then lastly, Charisma Williams. So you got a lot of sisters on here, and that's what I like about this. It wasn't just male-dominated, um, as if, you know, it's just totally European. Sisters got to be in there, too. Williams is creative director of Matimio.com and works at Microsoft as a senior experience developer designer for the Xbox Connect, which lets players interact with video games without the use of a controller. So there you have it top 10 African-Americans in the video game industry. And once again, I know we only got about five minutes left, but I just wanted to let everybody know that this is an area that everybody's going to have to deal with very, very soon, whether you like it or not. They're selling out stadiums to come see these video games, uh, to see all types of various games. Remember your game theory. Remember your gaming strategy. Remember to learn about gamification, which we didn't really get to get into today, but maybe the next time we come back, we can talk a little bit more about gamification. But this is the future. Yeah. And if we are to be and in the future, we got to go there. And we'll be back Sorry Saturday. So come, so join us Saturday for part two Yes. at 9 Absolutely. p.m. Please Eastern do. Standard Time. Perfect. And Bobby, Perfect. get give them the uh the 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 name of your school and and how they can contact you and all the other good stuff. Perfect. Uh, thank you. So you can visit JediLearning dot com. D J E D I L E A R N I N G 
www.thepowerofpowerpodcast.com. There you can access all of our social media. I would prefer that you go to either the YouTube channel where we upload information on there regularly or the Instagram channel where we upload information on there regularly. You can also email us at babakintu at jedilearning.com, B-A-B-A-K-E-N-T-U at jedilearning.com. You can also call us, 909-576-0170. We offer online classes. We offer in-person tutoring. As a matter of fact, Sister Bev, I didn't get the chance to tell you. I've been so interested uh-huh. with work because of the coronavirus that I've been too busy to even upload new courses onto the website. But, I, you know, that's a good thing. I need to start hiring yes. more people now to start, you know, helping yes. me with all this uh, service. So that's a great thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that, there you have it. Um, I'm really going to look into offering this gamification, uh, game oh, design yeah. for uh, some of our le- learners. And we would definitely be a hybrid program in there, too. Yes, yes. Excellent, excellent. And then maybe also uh, you could do some kind of exercise program, too, because, you know, they they setting up for hours <laughs> on those games, and maybe you can, you know, put in an exercise class or something in there kind of get is, the blood that, circulating. And you know what's so funny about and I didn't get to get into this, but you, number one, you're uh-huh. right. Living a sedentary lifestyle is not going to help you out. You definitely have to get up and move around. But when I right. look into the preparation for a lot of these esports players, they got better regimens than a lot of these pro athletes as far as what they wow. eat, what they go on to sleep. Okay. They, they exercise regularly because they say yeah. you have to have stamina in order to be able to play yeah. these games that long at the highest level. So they are prepared, yeah. you know, like Rocky Balboa out this month. So Clubber Lane. This is what we're dealing with, and this is the future. So you're absolutely right. Yes. They will be getting that health lesson as well. Yes, and I, I just love, I think you're doing an excellent job. I love the information that you gave out. This is what we're talking about, the things that we need. You know, you talking, right. telling people which direction to go into. You know, I understand I where we've been. But our, yeah. our thing is, where are we going? You know, what's this? And that, that was excellent. This was an excellent show. And I look forward to Saturday. Come back and join us Saturday. And uh, Baba Kintu will give us some more valuable information. And thank you, Baba. I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you're doing. And I just can't wait to your school just really grow, grow, grow. The I heard of the that. Future. I really appreciate that, Sister <laughs> Beth. I really do. You have because, been a really a big influence you, on our life and what we do here. And, you know, you're one of the people and, and the family out there that we do this for. So, you know, we're going to keep supporting each other and making this thing happen. Yes. We'll yes. Well, thank you, Baba, and I'll talk to you Saturday. I'll talk to you soon, Much Sister Beth. You enjoy the rest of your okay. evening. Okay. Okay, you too. Well, thank you, family. Hotep. Come back Saturday. I'll be on tomorrow yes, with the set and Brother Tugmo Friday. Don't make the blind man see. Don't feel irie. Make the lame man walk. Make all the dumb start talk. Let me all be one, as though I have a heart in eye, and I in the eye.
they may also be one in I and I, that the world may know and believe that thou hast sent I and I. And the glory which thou gavest unto I and I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou in the eye, that they may be made perfect in oneness, and that the world may know that thou hast sent I and hast loved them, even as thou hast loved the eye. Gonna get a shot of this good red hot black African love. Step on the scene, and them are pure and clean. I go and green black African love. Ready or not, gonna get a shot of this good red hot black African love. Don't be so mean, that love is pure and clean. Oh Lord, it make me sick get wet. Redeem the wicked from hell Put make a deaf man ear I'll make the careless start kill Hola, amen Come now, all people, let's gather me And listen well, clear the words of Zionite Rastaman, I'll come to sing to you That will come on you and you and you too. So, if you're ready or not, gonna get a shot of this good red hot black African love. Let the party see, don't be so mean. I go and green and black African love. Come to the peace, get away from the Blind man see Jump up and feel irie Come make the lame man walk Make all the dumb start talk As the Father has loved I and I So I have loved the I Continue ye in Jalot And if you keep the I moment You shall abide in Jalot Even as I have kept my Father's commandment Abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that I and I joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be made full. For this is I and I, I am that you love one another as I have loved you. For greater love as no man that he should lay down his life even for his friends. Ready or not, you're gonna get a shot of this good red hot black African love. Come to the sea, get away from the As life has changed over the last year, you're still pretty busy. So consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same tests hospitals use without a doctor visit. 
Simply order online, select from drive-thru or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 25 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com. As much as life has changed over the last year, you're still pretty busy. So consider convenient COVID-19 testing from Quest. Get the same tests hospitals use without a doctor visit. Simply order online, select from drive through or at-home options, and get results sent securely to your phone or computer. It's a great fit for your busy life. With over 25 million COVID-19 tests processed, you can count on Quest. So order your test today at questcovid19.com.